0: It's not something I get to do every week or want to do every week, but I appreciate the opportunity to come and share some things with you. Uh, if you have a cell phone, hold it up. Come on. Come on. Look at every one of these kids. Every one of them. What does that... So I am going to talk to you a little bit about technology this morning, particularly about being put on hold. How many of you have ever been put on hold by technical support? Yeah. <clears throat> so I called up the Social Security Administration, and the lady was very nice, and she said, well, I think I can help you. Let me, just give me a minute. I'm going to put you on hold. And then a different lady came on, and she said, I, she said, hello, and I said, Hello. She said, can I have your name and your number and your information? And I told her that. And she said, okay, I think we can help you. And then I waited and waited and waited. This started at 10 a.m. And by 2 a.m., I'm still talking to different people. And they're going, can you give me your name and your number, please? We'll see if we can help you. You know, it's I'm a techno nut. I love technology. If you come to my house, you'll see i got all kinds of gadgets and all kinds of crazy stuff, and I love it. But the problem with all this technology, being around the 21st century technology and being surrounded by it, is that when things don't go right, and you have to call customer service or you have to call tech support, when you put me on hold, how do I know you're helping me? I can't see on the other side. I got the feeling last week that somebody put me on hold and went to lunch. They just How do you know they just don't go to coffee break and then they come back? How do you know they're not trying to help you? They're not looking for your information. They're not trying to solve a problem. They're just talking to their friends going, I got this nut on the phone who thinks he's going to get an answer, so let's play games with him and send him here and there and everywhere. And so it's a little frustrating, and what makes it frustrating is you can't see the other side. It makes me sometimes want to go, do you have FaceTime? Could I just FaceTime you to make sure you're not just leaving me on the phone for nothing? You're actually working? Now, it's one thing to be on hold with Social Security for however many hours. It's another thing when you pray and you're really in need of an answer from God And God goes, you know, Danny, putting you on hold, bud. I'll get back to you, okay? I'll get back to you when I can. And you're there waiting for God to give an answer. You're trying to figure out what what do I need to do? And God's like, I got you on hold right now. I'm sorry. And what makes it even worse is if you read the Bible at all, you see all of these people who pray... And they get an immediate answer. It's like they pray, God answers. I pray, I'm on hold. Jairus had a daughter, this synagogue ruler. He had a daughter and she was sick. He called out to Jesus to help. Jesus helped him immediately. A Roman ruler had a child that was sick, was going to die. Jesus was teaching in Cana, which is kind of like, I don't know, cave city. And the daughter lived in Hardy. And the man said, listen, you don't have to come. Jesus was getting ready to leave. He said, you don't have to to come. Just speak the word. You have authority. Just speak the word. And Jesus spoke the word. And at the very moment he spoke the word, the girl was healed Immediately. A man who was a beggar, he had lost his sight. He was forced to the point of poverty where he had to beg for a living. He came and he fell down in front of Jesus and he said, Lord, if you can, you can heal me. And Jesus said, be healed. He reached out and touched him and it says, immediately, he was healed. And it goes on and on and on, just like that. Man at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus said, go down and wash in that pool and you'll be clean of all your leprosy. So he goes down there and it says he washed in the pool and immediately he was completely healed and all the people around him were just amazed. So why, when I ask God for something, does he go, oh, it's Chambers, let's put him on hold. Let's just push the button and wait and see what happens. And that's how you feel sometimes. Well, you're not alone with that because there are a lot of people in the Bible who were put on hold. Let me give you a couple examples. Abraham, when he left his home, God said, leave this place. Go to a place I'm going to show you. I'm going to make your children are going to be like the sands of the sea, like the stars in the sky. You're going to have so many offspring that you won't even be able to count them all. Now, as a grandparent, I can tell you that's awesome. You know, uh, uh, genius skips at least one generation. That's why when you're a parent, you look at your kids and you go, those are not my children. But then you get a grandchild and you go, now that kid is genius. What happened to your parents? And he said, Abraham, you're going to have grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-greats and great-great-greats all the way to the point where you can't even fathom how many children you're going to have. And then time went on and on and Sarah got old and Abraham got old and wrinkled and Sarah got past the time when physically she could even have a baby and it just kept going. He was on hold, on hold, on hold and finally, one day, he just had enough. He just had enough. It's like he hung up and called back. Have you ever, how many of you have ever done that? Just going to hang up, call back, maybe I'll get somebody with enough sense to answer me. So he, call, he called back and he said, Lord, what good is your promise if I don't have a son? I don't even have one child. How good is the promise of all of these children and great children? How how good is that promise? I don't even have one yet. And now I'm old, she's old. What are we going to do? Moses is another great example. Everybody knows about Moses. God said, you know what? I'm going to use you To bring all of these people. About a million point two people. That are in bondage in Egypt. For four hundred years. I'm going to use you. To be the deliverer. To bring all of those people out. Take them over to the land. That I promised them. uh, The land of milk and honey. Which is a phrase of great prosperity. I'm going to get you out of there. And put you over there. And you're the guy that's going to do this. And then. And then. He puts him on pause for 40 years. That's longer than some of you have been alive. 40 years. 40 years. Not a word. Not a single word from God for 40 years. And then one day he's out in the middle of the desert in Midian, which is a horrible area. There's nothing there. He's out in the middle of the desert. God shows up in a bush that won't burn up. We call it the burning bush. It's burning, but it's not burning up. And it catches. He's like, what the world? And God says, okay, now's the time. Let's get it done. I love the story. I love the story of Rachel. Rachel. You know, Jacob and Rachel, they were in love. You know the story? Two teenagers. They were passionately in love. And Joseph went to Rachel's dad and said, Listen, I, I need to marry this girl. Any- anybody in here ever done that? That's a scary thing. Let me tell you something. These young guys right here, be prepared. You probably are not going to get the red carpet on that one. My father-in-law just kind of put the 30-30 over by the wall. In fact, he said, no, not doing that. You're not what we're looking for. (laughs) Well, Jacob went over to Laban's house, and he said, hey, listen, I know you got these two daughters. I like that one, so what do I need to do? And Laban said... As any good father-in-law would, I'm not sure you're what we're looking for. So why don't you come to work for seven years for no pay? Sounds like a father-in-law thing. Come on over and work for me for seven years, and at the end of the seven years, if you've proven yourself worthy, I'll let you marry my daughter. So he did. He went seven years. Can you imagine being around the girl that you're passionately in love with for seven years, you can't talk to her, you can't hold hands with her, you can't do nothing. And at the end of the seven years, he thinks he's getting married to Rachel, but he wakes up in the morning married to the other one. And his father in law said, Oh, sorry about that. If you want to marry Rachel, you'll have to stay another seven years. That's a long time to be on hold. And he keeps crying out to God, what's going on? And God says, you know what? I got you on hold. I'm going to get back to you on that. David, as a young boy, God spoke to him and said, you are going to be king of Israel. He not only told David, but through the prophet, he told all of these other people, David is going to be king over Israel. And so all of David's buddies said, hey, this is a good deal. You're going to be king, and we're going to serve with you, and we're going to run this place. And then for 16 years, Not a word. Hold. Hold, please. For 16 years, David is running around, hiding out from Saul, who's trying to kill him. Say, what's your point? My point is, we're not the only ones that get put on hold. There are a lot of examples in Scripture where God answers immediately, and there are a lot of examples in Scripture where God says, you know what? I'm just going to put that on hold. Hold. I want to put that on pause. So the question then is, what's God doing while we're waiting? What's God doing while we're on hold waiting for this prayer to be answered? I know in some cases, and this is the case that we're going to look at with Jeremiah, disaster is right there. What Jeremiah, the prophet, was trying to do was divert a national disaster, And he cries out to God, what do we need to do? He cries out to the people, repent, come back to God so he'll save us from this disaster. And there's nothing, not a word. Just puts him on hold. Finally, in his desperation, finally, he prayed, he fasted, he sought God at every step. Not a word, not a word while he's doing that while he's on hold let me tell you what happens little history so way back under the judges 1000 or so years before this god was the king over his people and he appointed judges to help resolve legal moral ethical issues among people when there were disputes and everything was going really well. And then the people decided, you know, all the other tribes around us, all the other peoples around us have a king. We don't have a king. And God said, yeah, you do. I'm your king. And they said, yeah, but we, we, wanna, we, we don't like that plan. We want an earthly king. We want somebody that's, that can be our king here. And God told them, he said, don't do this, don't do this. Don't do this. This is not going to work out. How many of you have children here? Grown children. Let me see you in. Have you ever looked at your children and said, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that's going to work out like you think it is. Oh, yes, it is, Dad. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yeah, this is going to be cool. Our son did that. Bless his heart. He's probably watching today. He's... (laughs) He came into my office one day, and he said, now, you know you're in trouble as a parent. He goes, just sit down and don't overreact. (laughs) That's the key word right there, don't overreact. He was a freshman in college. He was doing really well. He was on the weightlifting team. He was in sports and all of this. And he said, just don't, Dad, don't overreact. I want to be a cheerleader. I'm like, I don't think the skirt's going to look that good on you. (laughs) He goes, I knew you were going to say something like that. He goes, hear me out, hear me out. He goes, Dad, you got to think about it logically. What other sport is there in college where you can hang out with some beautiful women you get to hold them for free. (laughs) And you get to travel on the bus and hang out and go places with the cheerleaders. Dad, think about it. I'm like, son, your mother doesn't want me thinking about stuff like that. (laughs) But if you want to do it, go ahead, but I don't think it's going to work out like you think it is. Well, I'm not going to tell you all the details of it, but all I'm going to say is by his senior year, he had seen enough of cheerleaders to last a lifetime. He said, they're spoiled brats. They're little prima donnas. No offense to the cheerleaders in the room. He said, I never want to see one again. And I said, well, I thought you were all excited about this. He goes, no. This is never going to happen, and he finally got out of it. Sometimes things don't work out the way you think they should. So Jeremiah, the people of Israel said, we want our own king, and God said, I don't think you do, because when you get one, you're going to find out it's not going to be what you think, and that's what happened. And they just suffered under the incompetence and immorality. And it's just like one thing after another, after another, after another. So from the 900s all the way down to Jeremiah's time, there's this battle going on. And it all evolves around the kings. One king after another. There'd be a good king, then a bad king, then a good king, then a bad king. In 722 B.C., The Assyrians came in. Well, what had happened is the kingdom finally got so bad they split up north and south. Northern kingdom of Israel, their capital was in Samaria. The southern kingdom of Judah, their capital was in Jerusalem. So now, because of all of this, you got two kingdoms instead of one. And God is silent, God has them on hold. And so, what happens is, by the time of Jeremiah, the Assyrians, who were wicked, absolutely wicked warriors, came in and destroyed the whole northern kingdom. And they took the 10 tribes of Israel and they scattered them out all over the territory, all over in Mesopotamia. That's why we call them the lost, the 10 lost tribes of Israel. And so, they spread them out and they moved into Samaria and they took over. And then a few years later, so now they're sandwiched in there. Only the southern kingdom is in existence. You've got the Mesopotamians at the top and the north of them fighting. You've got the Egyptians on the south, southwest, fighting for territory. And eventually, the southern kingdom falls prey to the Babylonian Empire. And Nebuchadnezzar comes in and destroys everything in Jerusalem, desolates everything, Spreads people out all over the place, and so the people are desperate. And Jeremiah's saying, God, you got to do something. You got to do something. Here's the thing about being on hold you don't know what's going on on the other side, you can't see it. So Jeremiah's looking around, and he's seeing all of this stuff happening around him, and it seems like God's doing nothing. So he begs God, God, please, something, anything. And finally, God takes him off hold, and he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. And this is where uh, Jeremiah chapter 18 comes into play. He says, look, let me show you something. Go down to this potter's house. Go down to where they make pottery. So chapter 18, verses 1 through 6, real quickly, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. In other words, I'm going to take you off hold and I'm going to show you what's going on. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. In other words, it wasn't correct. It wasn't right. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. So he took... The pot he was making, it wasn't working out. He smashed it down, he started over, and he made it into something else. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The message was, even though you think I'm on pause, even though you think you've got all of this going on, I'm the one still in charge. And if I want to take you and mold you and make you into what I want you to, I will. I mentioned this in Wednesday night class. We were talking. Have you ever been drugged by your wife or girlfriend to a parade of homes? I would really rather be stuck in the eye than to go to a parade of homes. Especially at Christmas. And my wife loves going to see. You see, I think the people who started Pinterest are all going to rot in hell forever. I mean, in eternity, there's going to be a place called Pinterest. If you ever join Pinterest, you will never unjoin Pinterest. How many of you know that? I get, in the middle of the night, I get pins. Someone pins you on Pinterest. I don't know what that means, and I don't want to know. But I've tried to undo the app, I've tried to unsubscribe, I've tried everything. You can't get out of Pinterest hell. You're there. And then your wife sees something on Pinterest and drags you off to some parade of homes. And you know, when you're looking at the uh, uh, beautiful home, it's not the home. The home didn't build itself. What you're admiring is the architect of the home. True. True. If you're looking at Christmas lights, it, the national lampoon of Christmas always comes in to my mind when I think of Christmas lights. When you're looking at all those lights, the lights didn't put themselves up there. Someone put them up there. The owner of the house probably didn't build the house. A builder built the house. And what God is saying is, you're not the builder. You're not the one in charge. You're just the clay, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do what's best for you. And so finally, Jeremiah gets off hold, and he sees that God hasn't been silent. God didn't go off to lunch. He didn't take a coffee break and leave the people here to die and be destroyed. God's been busy all along. So here's a couple of things that I'm going to leave with you this morning. What do you think God's up to when he puts you and I on hold? When we pray, we say, God, you've got to do something. God, I need you to answer. God, we we need help here. And you don't hear a word. It's just like crickets. Let me give you six things that I think might be going on. Number one, God may be working on your character. How many of you believe character matters? Yes, it does. Every presidential election, somebody always comes out and goes, It's personal. It doesn't matter. It matters. Trust me. Oh, what he or she did in the past doesn't matter. Oh, it does. It really does. Character matters, and it matters to God. James 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Listen to this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, the word perseverance in Greek there is patience. Same word as patience. Okay, all the wives look at your husband and go, this is what I'm talking about. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete and lacking nothing. You're not lacking anything when patience is done with you. It's about character development. So Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. Sometimes waiting is what you need to develop your patience. And if you're like me, I'm going like, I already have patience. I've already passed that test. Let's move on now, quickly. My wife is constantly going, you need to, I don't know, this is not a marriage seminar, but how many men in here have ever heard these words, you need to calm down? Let me see You need to just calm down. You need to be patient. And I'm like, no, they need to be patient. And so sometimes when we're praying, when we ask God for help, God is like, you know what? You need to calm down. You need to relax and let me deal with this. You need to work on yourself and I'll work on everyone else. Somebody say amen. I could not buy an amen out of the first service. That's all I'm going to say. I couldn't wait for you to get here. Number two, God may be purifying our motives. Sometimes when God has people on hold, he's trying to get inside us to work on our real motivation. So I know this is a large scripture. I don't know if we can see it all that well on the screen, but... Colossians 3, 1 through 10. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. In other words, he's talking to Christians. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear appear with him in glory. And now he gets really personal. Again, therefore, or since, since you are in Christ, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is the same thing as adultery. Idolatry. So greed is, I want what you've got. I want what someone else has. And it's setting that thing up as an idol in your mind and in your life. Because, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. In other words, this is not you anymore. This is not you. This stuff shouldn't be in your life anymore. That's the old way. But now you must, get, you must rid yourself of all such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with the practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. So what is he saying? Paul is saying, look, sometimes when God doesn't answer, sometimes when we don't get what we want, God might be looking internally in us and he's saying, you know what? We need to work on that. We need to work on that. And I don't care how Pure your motives are, there are always areas that God wants to go deeper with. There's always things he wants to work on with us. And we kind of blow them off. We go, well, you know, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Yeah, it is. It is. It's not that offensive. I mean, nobody knows. Yeah, it's offensive to God. And he wants to work on it. And so he'll put you on hold, on hold so that he can deal with some inner things. It may just be attitudinal. It may just be my attitude about something. It may just be the way I have a perspective on something, but it has to do with my internal motivation. And God's saying, you know what? I love you so much. Let's clean that up, shall we? Let's work on that. Number three, God may be strengthening our faith. There are times when... What God is doing when we're on hold is he's simply using like a rubber band to stretch our faith, to make us stronger in our faith. Let me ask you a question that I asked the Wednesday night group the other night. Do you really believe what God says is true? I mean, really, seriously believe that if God says something, it's absolutely true. Do you believe it down in your heart of hearts? There were these two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother was a close friend of Jesus, probably uh, within one or two people of his closest friends. John, the beloved, was probably as close to Jesus as anyone when he was living here on the earth, and Lazarus was another one. They were like inseparable friends, and Jesus is off teaching, and Lazarus dies, And you would expect it's a close friend. He would drop what he's doing and go to the family. But he doesn't. He just keeps on doing what he's doing for four days. So he puts Mary and Martha and their whole family on pause, up on hold for four days. Do you know what happens to dead bodies in four days? They start to smell. He finally decides to go. He heads over toward their place. Martha is so angry. She is so upset. She goes running out to where he's at before he even gets there. And she says, hey, I'm paraphrasing, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I mean, after all, you're the guy who raises people from the dead. Where were you? She's indignant. He finally gets to the place. Mary's there. She comes to him. She says, hey, what's up? If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So in other words, the whole thing is your fault. And Jesus said, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. What are you worried about? What are you concerned about? He's not dead. He's resting. So he goes to the graveside. They move everything out of the way. He goes in, and he raises him from the dead. Can you imagine Martha and Mary after that? Going, yeah, we kind of missed that. We kind of, we got ahead of ourselves there just a little. Blaming Jesus for the whole thing when the actual thing was he was going to raise him from the dead. As a testimony of who he was. So sometimes God is just saying, you know what? You know what you need to do? Calm down. And let me, just trust me. Calm down and trust me. I've got this, even though you don't think I do. Four, God may be freeing you up from some kind of internal unforgiven sin, unconfessed sin. We all have them. There are things in our lives which he wants to be Lord over, but we keep them back. That's what a sin is. A sin is not necessarily an act that you go out and commit, but a sin can be the very principle of evil that sometimes we hide things in our heart and we don't want to let God have everything. Now, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. it doesn't matter. It's not about years. It's not about, hey, I've been to church or I've, I've been doing this or I'm involved in ministry and this and that. No, listen, inside you are places that God wants to get to that have not been opened up to him yet. And you excuse it. You go, well, you know, I am not as bad as this person. I'm not as bad as that. Number five, sometimes it's to repair a broken relationship. I've seen this in ministry over the years. I threw it in here because I thought, you know, this is true, and we don't talk about it. But sometimes God puts our prayers on hold because we've got a problem with somebody else. Matthew 5, and 24, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, talking about a, a Christian brother or sister, will be subject to judgment. It, again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, raka. Raka means with contempt. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about you, Ian, I'm talking about you with contempt. I'm saying stuff about you with contempt in my heart. If you do that, you're you're in danger of judgment before a court. It's slander, basically. Or if you say fool, you'll be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother and sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to them, and then come back and offer your gift. Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about uh, forgiveness, and he says, and pray like this. Father, forgive me the same way that I forgive other people. Now, here's the, here's the hard part of this. Relationships are hard anyway because you're always bumping into people's personalities and their preferences and this and that and the other. And, you know, it, it's, it's difficult living in a world with other people. If you were just here by yourself, things wouldn't be that bad. But you've got to bump into all these other people. Sometimes... To mend a broken relationship, we have to say we're sorry even when it's not our fault. The silence is deafening in here. Is that not true? Is it not sometimes you can't get past, the other person's pride just won't allow them to do anything about it. And you, on your side of it, have to go to somebody and say, you know what? I'm sorry, I'm sorry this thing got between us, I'm sorry this happened, and in your mind you're going, I'm not the one who caused the problem, but you see, God doesn't care about that, he cares about you, he wants you to humble yourself, go take care of the situation, and then he'll take you off hold, someone say, amen, that was pretty weak, Number six, the last thing, and we'll close. Sometimes there's a spiritual battle going on. Sometimes what we don't see behind the curtain is something spiritual going on, and we're not getting an answer, not because God didn't hear us, but we're not getting an answer because Satan is putting a block there. This happened to Daniel. Daniel was on hold with God for 21 days. He asked God for an answer for something that was an emergent situation. It was diverting a disaster. And for 21 days, there was no answer whatsoever. God was just silent. And finally, this angel comes and says, Daniel, Daniel, your words were heard from the moment you spoke them. God heard your words. And I came to bring you the answer. But the king of Persia, which is in this case Satan, stood up against me. So Satan comes out with all of his army of demons. Every demon out of hell comes out and puts a stop on it. He says, Michael the archangel had to come down and help me and free me up so I could come and see you. 21 days he was on hold waiting for an answer. And it had nothing to do with anything except that Satan didn't want him to have that answer. If God has you on hold, it's for a very good reason. So here's the end of it all. What do I do if I find myself on hold? Here are four things I think are helpful. Number one, don't give up, don't give in, and don't hang up on God. I've talked to people over the years, they go, "They go, uh, uh, I prayed about it, nothing happened, I'm done. I'm done with it. Isn't that reverting back to that whole need for patience thing? I tried God and it didn't work, I'm done. Don't, if, you, if you're praying about something, if you're seeking God for an answer to something, don't give up, don't give in, and don't hang up. Number two, ask God what's going on. Why isn't this happening? What are you doing? What am I not seeing behind the scenes? You might be surprised that sometimes he will tell you. Once I was praying, I was like, God, we need an answer to this. What's going on? It had to do with our children. You know, I just, I was beside myself. I had just... When you're a parent, your kids can push you to the absolute limit of murder, right? You're just like, one more word out of you, and you're out of here. And I was just beside myself, and I said, Lord, what's going on? And the words the words of the Lord, I'm not saying he spoke out loud. I don't think he had to. He just whispered in my heart, it's not them, it's you and I'm like no it's not it can't be I'm the parent and he said no we were going to go to Florida on vacation we had it all planned and the kids are like we don't want to go there I'm like well you're going you're going in a box you're going tied up with duct tape mom and I already planned it we don't want to go there we already bought tickets we're not, we don't want to go Oh, you're going. Trust me. And I'm like, Lord, I go down to the basement. I'm like, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord goes, it's you. It's you. I'm like, are you sure it's not Lynette? (laughs) Because she's the one who planned this trip. But the Lord spoke to me and he said, you know what, Jim? You didn't even ask the kids. You didn't even ask them. You didn't ask them what they wanted to do on the holiday. You just decided what you wanted to do, and now you're dragging them along. So it's really not them. It's you. And listen, this is the word of the Lord just for me. It's not about you. He said, if you think they exacerbate you, you ought to be me. And I went back upstairs, and I... I I remember setting the kids down. I talked to Lynette first, and I said, okay, well, it's not about you. It's about me. I wanted to go to the swamp, see the mosquitoes. What do you guys want to do? And we made other arrangements. It wasn't even about them. It was about me. Recognize that God is always the potter. We're always the clay. He's trying to make something beautiful out of us. And finally, just trust God to know what the outcome should be. Sometimes when we think the outcome would be one way, God's like, you don't want to do that. You don't want that. Let me give you what I want you to have. Let me do it my way. You're going to be way better off than you are if you get your way. Let's stand together and have prayer. Father, thank you for a beautiful day. We pray for all of those who have been infected by this flu virus and other types of flu, types of infections. Lord, we pray for those who have been affected by this coronavirus. We lift them up to you today and ask that you touch them, heal them, give them strength. Lord, we pray for ourselves today that when we get put on hold that instead of being impatient, being upset, when we don't hear from you, we'll back up. We'll back up and say, wait a minute. He's the potter. I'm the clay. What's going on here? Let me see what God's trying to do in me before I go worrying about what he does somewhere else. Give us strength to do that. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Do not hug anyone, just wave. Hey,
1: Amen. Thank you. set apart for you Lord I choose to be